0: Hey guys, what's up? This is CK and I just spoke my truth on Afrobeats Intelligence. Go check it out.
1: Afrobeat Intelligence Podcast. Afrobeat Intelligence.
0: Democratizing African music.
1: So how long do you typically spend in Nigeria? Right
0: now I spend most times a week Maybe two weeks, you know, but, um, yeah, every time I I come to Nigeria, it's always very hectic. Like that one week or those two weeks will be crazy yeah. until I leave, you
1: know. In what what way, stuff to do?
0: Yeah, it's always activities, you know, um, I don't have to shoot something or I have to renew my visas or I have to, you know, do press or I
1: have to, you know, it's always something crazy. Your human experience must have changed so much. Yeah,
0: uh, a bit. Yeah.
1: From the first time I ever saw you.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. In what
1: way? It's not a little bit. <laughs> you. <laughs> You're being modest. That's not. I no. mean,
0: man. Uh, yes, my human experience has changed in the fact that, um, I'm on the road a lot. Yeah. These days, like I'm traveling a lot. I'm in the airport a lot. I'm on planes a lot. Yeah. I'm in different countries where they speak different languages, eat different food a lot. You know, I'm on stage a lot. I'm in the studio a lot. I'm basically doing a lot of stuff mm-hmm. right now. And, uh, yeah, it's very, very different from my, you know, usual lifestyle or program yeah. for now. You know, I was doing the same things before, but just not to the this magnitude. Yeah. You know, so right now it's a lot more intense than before. A lot more, um, attention. Yeah. Than before. And that brings good and bad things, you know? So yeah, it's, it's just a bunch of stuff <laughs>
1: going on. <laughs> well, but the good things, the good things, uh, they dominate, don't they? You, yeah, you, you have the most, you have, you have the most plaques. Yeah. Ever in Nigerian music, your, your music has traveled so far. You've scored award-winning singles all over the place. Uh, that must make you so proud.
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, Alishi, Alishi was a young boy from you know Anambra States that came to Lagos trying to, in quotes, make it in music. Yeah. You know, whatever. And the fact that, you know, a few years down the line, all this is happening. It's it's literally a dream come true for me. But at the same time, it's like right now the the amount of work that comes with it yeah is so crazy that most times I even forget that my dreams came true. <laughs> like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm so busy working that sometimes I have to actually stop and tell myself, "Oh shit!" Like this is what you've been dreaming about yeah. since you were a child or whatever but right, right now it's just so there's just so much to be done that you know there's hardly even time to
1: digest all that yeah and it's so weird when um, when people get to finally achieve not achieve music achieve all the things you've been working for you've hit the new level yeah. and you're just rewarded with more work
0: yeah it's crazy it's crazy but it's just that the, the the crazy thing is that work is very important. Yeah. You know, like, I wish it wasn't like this, but it's like this. And, yeah, we just have to work. Like, and I'm not mad at it, to be honest. Yeah. I feel I welcome the work yeah. because I feel like this is what I'd rather be working for. This is what I'd rather be doing as opposed to being a banker or something, being mm-hmm. in an office. I would still work anyways if yeah. I was that. Not like anything is wrong with backers. <laughs> but like, yeah, I just feel like this is what I'd rather be doing with yeah. my time and energy, and I'm, I'm happy that I'm doing this,
1: you know? When did you leave Anambra?
0: So I'm from Anambra, but I didn't grow up in Anambra. I grew up in Kaduna State my whole life, but um, I left Kaduna around November 2014, actually November 3rd, 2014, specifically. Why'd you leave? I left because I wanted to pursue my dreams in music and my parents were not very encouraging, you know. They had very different views on what they felt I should be or what I should, what they felt I should do with my life. And I had very different views and we we just couldn't come to an agreement, you know. So I I made a choice. I'm like, okay, this is my life at the end of the day. Yeah. So I imagine myself at the age of 40 yeah. regretting being like Man, I wish I wish I just chased my dreams. I just, you know, and when I imagined that image, it didn't look good to me. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take things to my take matters into my Mm -hmm. own hands and I'm just going to make the move on my own, regardless, keeping the future in mind, you know. And that's why I left.
1: What did they want you to do?
0: Anything else but music. You know, they wanted me to be a doctor, they wanted me to be a lawyer, anything. Anything as long as it was not music. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but they, but they had it. They, they did understand that their son was a genius.
0: Yes, but they didn't. They understood that their son was a genius academically. Okay, because I was always a straight A student. I, I always used to take first in school. <sighs> so they're like, hmm, smart child. Blah 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 blah. You know. So they they always had this image of me yeah. becoming this because. I mean, if, if this child is so good academically, why would he want anything else True. if not to become like a medical doctor or whatever? But for me, I don't know, like, <clears throat> even though I, I used to get is, I just never really saw myself doing engineering or any of this stuff, you know, like at one point I wanted to be a pilot because pilots are <laughs> well-paid, you know? For real? Yeah. Cause to be honest, I, I'm not going to lie. I always wanted to do a job that was going to be well-paid. Yeah. So, Today I'll be like, okay, I want to be a pilot. Tomorrow engineer. Tomorrow this this this. But each time I said I wanted to be something, it just I, I just never had this conviction.
1: Yeah, I didn't feel it. Me. Deep down, it didn't
0: feel right. Like I want to be a pilot, but like when it came out of my mouth, it didn't just.
1: It didn't resonate. It it didn't didn't re-
0: yeah, you know, and I just kept being in situations around that time where I'd either listen to speeches or motivational talks or one thing or the other that just encourages you to chase your dreams, chase your dreams and follow. Be who you are, yeah. fly like a bird. Yeah, and I, I was always coming across biographies too yeah. at this time. So all this stuff just gave me the ginger to just, you know what, as scary as this is, as crazy as this, as this is, I know my parents would kill me, but yeah, I just had to make the move. And I made the move.
1: So, the day you left home, you, did you tell them?
0: Yes, sir. So, so, what I did, yeah, I was saving for like a month or two months. I was saving because I was working in a studio back then.
1: Oh, so you were producing and making money?
0: Yeah, but not much. You know, I was making like, Kaduna is not a very industry place. Like, I was getting like 5K for a beat that time, Naira. Was, was
1: it big money then? Then, was, judging by where you were at.
0: Well, not really, but at least it was bigger than the pocket money my parents used to give me at the time. So, I felt some type of way that okay, I'm earning something, you know. So I was saving all that money, and one day I was like, you know what, I'll just leave. So I, I had a friend in Lagos who was a producer as well. He was producing for a record label in Surulere. Yeah. So he he had an apartment. They gave him an apartment.
1: You guys met on the internet?
0: No, no, he's from Kaduna as well. Or rather, he grew up in Kaduna as well. And, you know, he used to make music. And we're kind of cool. We're not the closest of friends, actually. Yeah. But we're close enough.
1: Yeah, and and then you guys had... uh, You guys were all making music together. So there was common ground.
0: Exactly. So I told him, yo, man, I want to come to Lagos. I'm looking for who to stay with. Blah, 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 blah. And he offered to, you know, have me in his place for a while. So saved money booked a flight. I didn't do night bus. I you booked, booked
1: a flight. Booked you a were flight. rich now.
0: No, I wasn't rich. It was actually more convenient for me to book a flight because uh, the flight was going to leave in the afternoon. Yeah. And there was no way I could leave my parents' house in the morning or in the night because they would all be there. So I had to but wait. They, they didn't have to? <laughs> yeah, I had to wait till afternoon when they <laughs> were they, not there. When but they went to work.
1: But they, they didn't know you were leaving on that day. No. But did you intimate them before you left, or did you show signs at home no, that you were zero? You didn't show any sign that you were discontent. You were you uh, zero. No.
0: I mean, they, I mean, if they, were, I, I think if they were attentive enough, they yeah. would have definitely picked it up. But I feel they were not. They never really expected me to do something like that. But, anyways, long story short, I always felt like it was for the greater good, and that I'm doing this for them too. But they just don't realize that I'm doing it for them. So. As much as I was disobeying my parents at the time, I just felt they don't know better, so I will just do this and show them later on. It's so crazy how I'm saying this, (laughs) narrating the story, and the exact exact thing happened. Anyways, so I booked the flight and I left. And uh, for like a week, I was writing this letter, the letter I was going to send to them the moment I landed in Lake.
1: So for a week you were at home. Typing the Typing this letter out. Like, yeah. What was in this letter?
0: Ah, in this letter I <laughs> was... First of all, I explained why I left.
1: Okay. And this was before you had left.
0: Before I left. I okay. was explaining to them, this is the reason I have to take this drastic measure. I'm leaving to pursue this. And I'm like, I believe in this, blah, 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 blah. I have a few contacts that are going to introduce me. To-. I didn't have much co- contacts, to be honest, but... My guy in Suruliri was the closest contact I had. So I just knew I was Was he plugged in? He wasn't really plugged in, to be honest. You know, but one thing I just knew is that I was very good at what I was doing. And I just knew that if I was in this space and I just spent some time in this space, I would find my way. I just knew this for sure. So I was willing to take a chance on that. So... Landed in Lagos, sent the letter. It was on BBM that yeah. time. T- you just pasted then. on BBM. Yeah, pasted on BBM and
1: all hell broke loose. So when they came back, they didn't know you had left home.
0: Yeah, they, I don't think they had even come back yet. Because the flight was just one hour and they would not come back till like 7 p.m. I left like 2 p.m. Yeah, yeah. So... Around, like, 3 p.m., 4 p.m., while I had landed, I sent a message and it all, all hell broke loose. Like, my mom was panicking. She was going crazy. Um, My dad.
1: The group chat was mad.
0: Yeah, the group chat was crazy. All my siblings started calling me one after the other. Yeah. It was, it was mental. But anyways, long story short, after, like, after a few days of back and forth, you know, everybody calmed down. Yeah. And... You know. I was did they
1: ask you to come back?
0: Of course they did, but obviously I was not going to come back. Also, I didn't want to tell them exactly where I was in Lagos because they could send police to pick me up or some stuff like that. So it was and this was really scary for me, I'm not going to lie, because at this time I'd not even gone to uni yet. So I'd not really lived away from home yet. So it was it was was very scary for me. Straight from
1: secondary school. Straight. You know,
0: I'd been like, I was in in the house for like a couple years. I wrote jump, wrote jump again, you know. Yeah, I was supposed to school in the US, so I wrote SATs too. Yeah, I wrote a bunch of exams and yeah, things were just not going the way I wanted them to go. So I just left. So, you know, I explained to them everything and they were like, okay, cool. My mom was still pissed, but she knew there was nothing she could do about it. So she was like, okay, cool. And while I got here, I was already on the road. I was already going to studios, introducing myself. Oh, I'm CK, I do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Can I mix for you guys? Because I needed to earn money. So I was basically shopping myself around to find who would give me a job.
1: (laughs) So just just a bit, before we go into how you integrated, Mm -hmm. you knew you were good. Mm -hmm. How did you know you were good? You were just a kid in Kaduna making Mm -hmm. music. Yeah. what what convinced you about your abilities
0: okay so it was a it was a series of things so first of all my beats everybody wanted my beats how did i start making beats i started making beats in secondary school for my own songs because i didn't there was nobody to produce me yeah so when i learned started learning how to produce and i was writing songs i would always make stuff and i'll come to school and play it mm. all the boys i used to rap like yeah. yo 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 so they asked me to start making beats for them that's how i started making beats for them
1: so that's one yeah Then So you had proof of concept.
0: I had proof, yeah. Also, like immediately I left secondary school, I was in like a I was in a group of three, and we were really popular in Kaduna back then. You know, it was more like a gospel rap thingy though at the time, because that was like the music terrain in Kaduna. Yeah. It was very gospel, very, you know. And we did a show one time. We saved our money, we did a show. We got sound, we did everything, we printed flyers. We did all that shit and we sold out the show.
1: Whoa. Now, when we sold out how the many, show- How many, how many, what's capacity can you estimate?
0: I think it was like 300 people or something. That's big. Yeah. And the tickets were like 500 naira or something like that. But we just sh- we sh- sold it out. And when when people came- yeah, Mind you, we didn't have radio supports- it was just it was Twitter and Inst- and there was no Instagram. Twitter yeah. and Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I think Instagram was not as popular. And peer to peer sharing. Yeah. Twitter, Facebook. We we'll literally go to Facebook and post our song and tag every single person that follows us on the song to see it. We will not just <laughs> post it and leave it to them to see it on the timeline. Tag them to see it. You know. And we got really popular like this. We did a show. We, like one of our biggest songs. They made us perform it like three times that night. Like that night was like the moment I realized that, yo, this is this can is, actually do this thing. You yeah. Know? Cause this was like a very small scale. This was no money, no budget, yeah, nothing. No radio, no TV, no music video. Just a bunch of guys. Just a bunch of guys that just really wanted to be stars. And we did this shit. And it saw that and that was the day that I decided that you know what? I'm going to do this for real. Like I mean, I always wanted to do it for real, but that day convinced even me that I could do this for real. So, um, yeah, that's the second reason.
1: And yeah. armed with this, it felt enough at that time that people wanted your beats and you had performed the show where people had done. But looking back now, yeah. do you think it was sufficient?
0: Man, I think it actually was because I don't know how to explain it yet. There's, there's a certain energy, like there's a certain look in someone's eyes when they see your talent yeah. and they're expressing how they feel about it. Like if, if, if you're an artist or you're a creative, you've seen that look before. Like when somebody is listening to your stuff and you can see it on their face that they're impressed in, in all of this thing, you know yeah. what I mean? And to me at that time, I always, I knew I was good. Yeah. But I always felt like I had a lot to improve. I always felt like I wanted to improve. I wanted to be better, better. But even as I was, there are so many people that felt I was so good, you know? <laughs> around me and they were like, yo, man, you need to do this. You need to go to Lagos, man, blah, blah, blah. You need to go to Lagos, man, blah blah, 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 blah. Like it was, it was crazy. Yeah. You know, plus us doing all these little shows here and there, all that stuff kind of built my morale and made me feel like I could actually do this. You know, plus I would always listen to, let's say biographies of other stars, like very big stars who had, who had blown up. And I noticed that all their stories were very similar to mind
1: they had a, they had a point when there you, was always a point when you listen to it there's always yeah. a point where they decided to take their life into their hands yeah there was always that point of rebellion yes where they're like fuck conventional
0: always what, what's so crazy is that when me and my dad were having a conversation mm-hmm. after i had left and he, he came to lagos to see me he told me the same story of um, i think handel yeah, Because my dad is very into classical, classical music. Oh, he gave you Handel's story. So he told me Handel's story. I think his dad wanted him to be a lawyer or something and how he left and blah, 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 blah. How musicians were not really wealthy or successful at the time, yeah. but he Handel just wanted to do this. You know what I mean? So my dad was actually very calm about the whole situation, way more than my mom was, uh. actually.
1: Because yeah. he's he's the Handel guy, and <laughs>
0: he's the handle guy. Also, even though he's a doctor, he was a medical doctor, and he was doing music on the side. Like he just was doing music. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was like he wasn't getting paid for it. He didn't do it for the money. What was he, he doing in music? He was the organist in Anglican church. Oh. So he he was the one that would play when the choir was singing in church, and he was very popular in the church. Like everybody loved my dad playing. So um, I learned how to play the piano from him, but I just felt like the Choir route was not really my thing, you yeah. know. I mean, I liked choirs and I appreciated choirs, but and I just saw myself doing the choir thing. So I always just wanted to be pop artist, yeah, mm-hmm. pop star. So I what, just
1: what was attractive? What was attractive about pop stardom?
0: It was just a no-brainer for me. Like, I just felt that was who I was, you know. Like, from time when I was like even before I was like an adult, I was always just, I was the child that all my sister's friends liked. Okay. Like everybody just liked me, you know? So I kind of had that thing.
1: People gravitated
0: towards me. People you. just gravitated towards me. A lot of people, even including people I don't even really like. You know, <laughs> you know? You know so um, every time I saw a, a pop star or whatever at the time, I just could relate to the energy. I could relate even to the type of music they made too, because I liked pop music. Yeah. And I always just saw myself doing this someday. But at the same time, I was like, I'm just a young child from Nigeria. Like, could I really do this? Could yeah. I really be this big? So there was all these doubts when I was like much younger still. Yeah, But I wanted it anyways. And as I grew, grew older and I, you know, learned more about life yeah. and built my confidence, my resolve grew stronger every time. And I was like, yo, I can actually do this shit, you know?
1: I get the impression that you are Mm well-read. I get the impression that you, of course, you book one. You just just established that. I get the impression that you are very well and widely read. Mm -hmm. It shows in how you even interpret the world in your music, how you express your art. And I keep wondering, without how much of reading influences songwriting because when you when you consume music and you consume Mm. songs now Mm. people would say sing about your life people would say write songs about your current experience Mm. but how do you convey that experience if you don't have the words
0: I feel like expressing yourself musically eh, yeah is a very fluid thing yeah in the sense that there's so many ways to express yourself like from the chord progression of the song to the instruments you use to play the same chord progression. Like I could play a chord progression on a piano and I could play the same chords on a guitar and it would give different vibes, different yeah. emotions. Um, there's happy chords, there's sad chords, there's there's chords that give you a nostalgic feeling. You mm-hmm. know, there's all kinds of ways and even in when you're, when you're like writing the words, yeah. there's a different emotion in how you say the words too. Okay. Like if I, if I want to say I love you, there's a way I would say the I love you that would be more expressive than if I just said it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. for me, intentionally and unintentionally, I express myself with the tone of my voice, the way I pronounce words, the, my choice of beats, mm-hmm. the chord progressions, even the way the song is mixed. Is part of how, you know, you express yourself. There are some songs that are wet. Some songs are dry. Some songs are hard. Some songs are soft. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, you even have guys like, let's say the mumbo rappers, in quotes. Yeah. I feel like mumbo rappers also found a way to express themselves, too, yeah. in hip-hop culture. And what's so funny is when they came out, the old hip-hop heads used to make fun of them and laugh at them that, they couldn't rap. This is not hip hop. But what's so what's so crazy is that those guys ended up doing way more numbers than all the old heads. Sure. Even in in trap culture, and I feel like in Afrobeats, there is a very similar thing too. Like people always like to fight evolution. Yeah. I think. But when evolution comes, it's always so groundbreaking that people just can't argue with it. At the end of the day, well,
1: change is hard. I've I've been I've, I've been in the, I've. Okay, I've spent like a decade here. Right now I'm a student again. Uh within I think since I've become I think I I thought I had a grip on everything in 2015-2016. But since then I've been a student again. I've had to learn yeah. e- everything's exploded. The limits, the ceilings, everything is all gone. So you, yeah. so I had to learn things like what it means to chart here, things like the pop the popular things, like what it means to chart in this place, what yeah. it means to receive a plaque in this how many units you need to sell. In this country, to be able to make it, because mm. we didn't have those things here no, at all, and on the back end, we had to learn new ways of creating and new ways of approaching the business to extract value. Mm. So people would always fight that because when new yeah. things come they they change the dynamic of the system, okay. and if you if you were in a good place and then the system changes and you're not in a good place, would you be happy you know seeing pretty- that your launch is gone. <laughs>
0: I'll hardly ever be in that position because I'm even more of a student than many people would believe. You know what I mean? Like, I'm always on to what's next because I easily get bored, to be honest. Like, in terms of sounds and in terms of music, I, I, I always want to find a new way to make Afrobeats because, yeah. you know, growing up, I'm not going to lie to you yet, growing up, like, when I was in, like, nursery or primary school yeah i wasn't really the biggest fan of nigerian music myself i'm not going to lie to you what were you listening i was listening to more of backstreet boys west my mm. whole family too like we really like 2 Face though like yeah. a lot a lot of us really like 2 Face. and i know this is going to when people hear this interview now that i'm an artist it's going to sound different to them but yeah. i'm just telling you guys how it was when i Growing up, I, I respect everyone yeah. who has come before me, who has made Afrobeat. But this is just how it was at the time. Yeah. So I wasn't really a, a, the biggest fan of Nigerian music. So I always, I always felt like, does Nigerian music
1: have to sound like this? You know, so like your 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 major your major not grouse, your major conflict was uh, personal conflict was it? didn't sound as you envisage it to sound? Yeah. Yeah.
0: You knew there was another way. Yes, I just felt it could be better, but at the time, I didn't just know exactly how to make Nigerian music better. Yeah, I still had a lot to learn. I still had to discover myself and all that stuff. But at that time, at that time, I just felt like yeah, Nigerian music can be better. High life music can have more swag. Like I, you know, I just felt like, like I said, I was a young pop guy. Yeah, but when I listen to like our very traditional stuff, I'm like. I need more swag in this thing. You know, like I, I want to put more sauce.
1: You need more spunk. You need yeah, more pizzazz. Like more, you know, so you, you need a lot of more modernization.
0: Yes. So when I finally started making music, this, is this was like always my goal. Yeah. I always wanted to just make the music in a better way. Like if I would go to the club and I would listen to 1000 songs that sound the same, the same beat, I'm like, how do I, you know, how do I make this better? And, over time, I started to notice a few people in the industry who were innovating yeah. the sound. And one of these people is Saz. Yeah. I feel like in, in our industry, yeah, Saz is, is one person that is... Saz lag- lives in the future. Bro, like Saz is largely, largely responsible for the evolution of Afrobeat. Either him or people he mentored. Yeah. If you trace it, a lot of things link to Saz. Definitely, there's also Don Jazzy, too, who... <laughs> Don Jazzy basically created cool Afro beats. Yeah, like... He made the templates. Yes, when one the band came, that's when I started to really, like, okay, this Afrobeat thing, I like it. Like, they were cool. They were fresh. You know, they made Afro beats pop. They made it cool. So, these are, like, these few people here and there, also in, in, in terms of rap music, M.I. was one of the first Nigerian rappers that made rap sound you know, next level to me. Yeah. So when I saw, I saw all these people doing this and I'm like, okay, cool. There, there's people in this space who are thinking like this too. Yeah. So, and when I eventually came to this space, I kind of began my own journey to, to improve the genre in a way better than how I met it. And this leads me to my first official EP, CK The First. Mm-hmm. My main goal for that EP was, I just want to do this Afrobeat differently. Yeah. I want to make it sound different. I want to I don't want to use the usual beats. Like when I was picking beats, any beat that sounds normal, I reject the beats mm. just because it sounds too normal. You know what I mean? And coincidentally that EP gave us love intensity which became what it was, you
1: know? Okay? With with experimentation. So our music is pretty much experimentation. Yeah. A lot of what constitutes our growth is because we found ways to combine existing elements mm-hmm. across board, whether in lyrics, in sound, everything else. Every element is is contested. Every yeah. Everything is switched at every point in time. Yeah. And how do you know that people would connect with this experiment? Because you're, you're trying to invent something. You're, yeah. you're cooking in a lab you're in your tiny spot and you're just creating things what gives you the confidence or even the arrogance that yeah. what you're creating is desirable
0: well yeah, i feel it's it's really simple so for one i have good taste in music myself yeah if music is trash i wouldn't like it okay. including mine if if i make something and i'm not feeling it I'll, I'll stop it before i even finish it yeah so if it sounds good to me. And it sounds good to everyone around me that I trust to discern good music. Then it's a good sign that that experiment in quotes is going to work. Like for instance, um, when I first made Love Wanting I loved it a lot Mm -hmm. myself.
1: What was attractive about it?
0: It just sounded more like, wow, I'd like to hear an Afrobeat. Like I said, like, okay, for instance, many Afrobeat songs are very fast, danceable. Yeah. I feel like the tempo of Afrobeat has been slowing down every year for the past, maybe for the past 10 years. Every year it gets slower and slower and slower. Yes, I agree. So, The so Love Wanting was a bit slow, and it was very euphoric. Like, if I listened to it, I could zone out and space out into something. Like yeah. It was a very enjoyable song, and...
1: It's a song that can possess you. Yes. In a, in a cool way, in a chill way.
0: Exactly. And also it was it was very from my heart as well. Because I was in love when I made the song. I was in a relationship. Uh and yeah, I just I just felt like this is something really special. I would play the song every single time. But now my label didn't believe it was a hit song. They felt it was too slow. My label at the time, by yeah. the way. Yeah, they felt it was too slow. You know, we needed something more upbeat, um, blah, 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 blah. Also the chorus, who would listen to, uh, uh, ah, who's going to listen to that, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it wasn't really, it was never seen like, a. oh, it's a hit, this song is a hit. Which I feel like it's so funny having this interview and saying this right now because I don't even think people will believe me as I'm saying this thing. People who were there know what's up and they know the vibe but this same song that's the most certified yeah. African song is the most this most that it was just there in a hard drive
1: and people were like mm, it's slow I, I know a number of people so Tempo was on the podcast earlier mm-hmm. and I know a number of people like he gave this beat to a number of people and mm-hmm. they didn't understand it
0: Give Love Wanting beat to another yeah. of you. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> uh, I thought he did. Nah. So Tempo co-produced Love Wanting Okay. Yes. But Love Wanting was done when I gave it to Tempo. So Tempo produced most of the songs on my EP. Okay. He produced Ski Ski. He produced um, Kalakuta. Yeah. He produced um, Like to Party with Black Bones. Benny with yeah. R.J. Um, but Love Wanting I produced Love Wanting and it's so crazy because it was in Lagos. We were literally in 1004, me, my manager, and a few of us. Yeah. We were just chilling, and it was a random night just like this. We were just in the parlor, and I was on my keyboard, and I just started making a beat, blah, blah, blah. Before you know it, I was feeling it, and I did a freestyle. So I did verse one yeah. and the chorus. And I was planning to pull words to the chorus later on. yeah. And it, I was sleepy, so I was just like, oh, I just left it, and I just slept. And we woke up in the morning and we heard it. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is this is dope, you know? So I finished the song. I did verse two, verse three. Before the EP got released, just before the EP got released, I remember vividly it was uh it was in a restaurant in Phase One. Yeah, in Lucky Le- Phase One. Yes, I had a meeting with T.G. Omori that night. Oh, good guy. To do a video. He didn't end up doing the video, by the way, but we had a meeting to do the video. And Tempo was there. I was like, yo... I just felt like, yeah, let tempo touch this song. Let him add, like, some stuff to this song. Because he did most of the songs on the EP. So I just felt like, yeah, like, I would want some tempo vibes on this song. Yeah. You know, so I gave him the full song, verse one, verse two, verse three. I'm like, try your hand on this song. Yeah. So he did. He added some stuff to the drums, and he sent it back. And after he sent me back back the song, I heard it, and I just felt like, Let me play guitar on this song. Yeah. The guitar wasn't on the song before. I just felt like I wanted to play the guitar on the song. Then I played the guitar on the song. Then the song came out. So I don't know the account of him playing it for other people. I don't know where that came from, but this is how it happened. Okay. And the song came out and the rest is history. But um, yeah, shout out to Tempo. And I feel Tempo is doing so crazy right now. Yes, yes. I'm really, really happy for him and everything he's doing.
1: When you're making a record, and I'm talking to you both as a producer and an artist, Mm -hmm. uh, because I I consider you to be one of the most talented people this country has ever produced. Um, Even before you blew, there was always a sense that CK time they come. Yeah, Yeah, there there was always that sense because we could see how much you had contributed to other people. Mm. You could see how much of a, how much you free, you shared, you were generous, you you were generous with your talent. Mm -hmm. And when you even began to officially drop records, a lot of it didn't peak immediately, but there was traction. There was some traction. And so we always knew, okay, this guy has it. This guy has the talent. This guy has the lyrics. This guy does, this guy, this guy is like a sound bender, but, at some point, it was going to work.
0: Yeah. Happy it did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you're a very sappy guy. Mm. Extremely sappy. <laughs> there's, no, there's no there's no, other way to describe it. You're extremely sappy because there's a level of, apart from the sincerity in how you deliver the emotion, your emotional songs, mm. and there's a certain level of, uh, what's the word, surrender that comes in with your vocals and your delivery and even the lyrics. Mm. And you begin to wonder, how does he have such a strong command of emotional expression?
0: Um, I think it's just who I am, to be honest. Like, sometimes I hate the fact that I'm as emotional as I am. Were you, have you always been sappy? Yeah, in some ways. But I think as I've grown, okay. it kind of shows in different ways. But i mean, what's water sign. I'm a cancer. Oh. So naturally my emotions are very, you know, dominant. Oh. You know, so when I make music, it just comes out of me. It just, you know, it just shows. I I don't even try. Like, and also I like to make music when I'm actually in the space to make that song. Like, I can't make a love song if I'm not in love. It's going going to be very hard.
1: You can fake it.
0: If if I fake it, even I wouldn't believe it
1: enough to release it. And so you, but you can make a heartbreak song when you're not heartbroken.
0: I can if if it already happened to me and I felt it. Because for me, when I feel things, I really feel things. So if if I'm heartbroken, a year from now, I can still remember how I felt when I was heartbroken.
1: So you have this, ment- you, you can mentally capture, not just the, you can mentally capture and document and archive, not just the, details of what happened to you but also the dominant emotion yeah and when you're creating a record with that memory in your head those emotions flood back yeah absolutely that means you you go through life
0: twice yeah (laughs) sometimes many times like because if i make the song and it comes out and i perform the song every single time i perform the song i remember everything that happened
1: does it for the experiences they weren't so um savory, torturous.
0: You know what's crazy? It's not even that bad. Okay. Most times. I feel most times writing the song is the most emotional part. When the song is written, there is a form of release. So even if I perform it perform it and I feel those emotions, I'm feeling those emotions with some form of closure attached yeah. to it. Okay. Yeah, so, like, it's not as torturous as you would think.
1: And when you perform a song, a song that's born out of of, of emotion, a song that's, you know, birthed from all of these feelings, when you perform them repeatedly, mm. does it dull the edge of what you feel? Repeated performances across multiple venues, multiple countries, different contexts, all of that, does it dull the edge of... It
0: depends, actually, because... Different performances are different crowds are different. Like for instance, if I'm at a festival, a very energetic festival with yeah. like 20k, 30k people, uh-huh. it's going to be different from when I'm in a more intimate space with maybe 1,000, and I have to do like an acoustic performance. Or like for instance, when I did um, the O2, yeah, at Whiskey's show, and I had to play the guitar in 20 in front of 20,000 people. The energy there,
1: <laughs> see that difference that day eh we all laughed <laughs> <laughs> why did you laugh why did i laugh mm-hmm. cuz you were out of place yeah
0: so first of all WizKid asked me to do it okay. asked me to play i didn't really go there planning to play it's crazy like <laughs> i think the 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 performance you we were so out
1: of place i'm like it was cute it was lovely it we were was. like we were like everyone comes to that sort of venue it's big energy huge yeah. show people in the mosh pits screaming lights yeah. and phones everywhere, yeah. sweat, all of that. And then the CK <laughs> with his guitar.
0: <laughs> yeah. But you know what's crazy though? Like it was it was one of the most how do I put it? The most insane moments for me because immediately I started playing. Yeah. Everyone, like the whole, the whole arena erupted. Yeah. Like you should have been there. Like it was, it was so fucking crazy. You know, and everyone sang along word for word, the verse yeah. and the chorus. Oh. Then after that, I did the energetic mush bits, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but that moment, for instance, that w- that was a very touching moment for me. But then if I'm doing the usual energetic stuff, it's not as emotional as the, you know, the solemn, you know, sincere performances. Okay. You know? So the energy is always different, but um, I wouldn't say it necessarily does the emotion. Yeah, I wouldn't say it necessarily dulls the emotion. It's just, it just bring different energies and different venues just bring out a different side to it, you know? And Whiskey told you to kind of bring out the guitar? Last minute, literally one hour before the I was already at the O2. Okay. Yeah. I was already at the O2 when he just asked and I was like...
1: Just before you climbed the stage?
0: Yeah, like literally we're at the green room, like one hour before... And I was like, yo, but we didn't do sound check. We didn't do any, any of these things. <laughs> Anything. Um, but he insisted, you know, so I did it. And that was that. Yeah, basically every every stage is different. When I did Coachella, for instance, different energy, it was very, it was a very turned up situation. Yeah. When I did um Roots Picnic in Philadelphia, for instance, it was a more planned performance. And I did the guitar on that one but this time we did a mashup of a Bobby Caldwell song yeah. what would you do for love into love Antity, and the crowd lost it you know so every performance i always like to do something
1: different every single one But well, what did that do for you that image of the like that conversation all of that what did it what did it do for you the conversation about the guitar i remember it was such a moment
0: yeah. I mean, lots of people, Nigerians were saying, oh, we came to turn off. We don't want guitar, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Some people were like, oh, it was nice. So it, at the actual O2 Arena, yeah. it was a crazy vibe. Like, listen, it was so crazy because it brought a completely different vibe to the show. But then everyone is entitled to their opinion or whatever. But for me, that was like one of the first times I played instruments and sang in front of 20,000 people. So it was very interesting for me to see that. I'm like, "Oh wow, okay. This is actually this is actually a vibe like even in an afrobeat space. Like this this is a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean?" Yeah. And yeah, it was it was a moment for me too.
1: But with performances, you've you've performed so much within the last 2 years. Mm-hmm. I think post-COVID, very few people have performed this much. More- <laughs> Yeah, very few people have performed as much as you as as you have, Mm -hmm. and when you and then this summer you were on the road again, doing multiple countries. Um, I I swear, much 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 of your media is filled with different crowds, different places, different nationalities. You know, how do you know what to serve in one market? and what to tweak in another market. What, what influences those that decision, the set list?
0: Um, so most times when we go to a country, we, before we even do the show, we like to catch the vibes of the place. You know, we go around, you know, sometimes my DJ goes to the, let's, let's say it's a three-day festival. My DJ and my manager, they go to day one. Yeah. Let's say I'm performing day two. They go day one, they catch the vibes. I myself, you know, I catch the vibe of the city and kind of understand how these people are in this space, the kind of music they listen to, the kind of, you know, and automatically we just know what to do. Yeah. You know, like for instance, a place like Germany is so different from, let's say, Paris, like France because France is a very colorful place. Yeah. Germany is not as colorful. Germany most of the buildings are like gray, brown. Germany is efficient. Yeah, it's, it's very, pragmatic. Yes, very efficient, but it has its own beauty to it. But a place like France now is, is very colorful, very culturally immersed. Yeah, everything is is everything is optimized for and pleasure. More,
1: Pleasure, hedonism, emotion, yes, expression, connectivity.
0: Exactly. So those, you know, people like that, their taste will be different from Germans. So the arrangement of the sets, the approach, everything is going to be slightly tweaked just to like cater to these audiences a bit more. Also, but if I'm performing at, let's say, an Afro Nation or a very predominantly black audience, yeah, I already know it's home, so I know that like we savvy ourselves, <laughs> We both know, we all know the vibe. So we just, you know, perform accordingly. So it depends. Also, if I'm in a private event that there's like, let's say 500 people, 400 people, it's a much more intimate setting. So
1: private is 500, 400 for you now.
0: Yes. Yeah, sometimes. Oh my God. Sometimes hundred. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well <laughs> done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay <laughs> yeah you know that five hundred that 400, 500 that you call uh uh-huh, private <laughs> do you know those are that's those are people's biggest level
0: well i mean listen every every everything is in stages everything in life is in stages there was a time that that was my biggest level too, so it's not even it an issue is calm, but for me like. Let's say the private events. Like I did one in Paris actually like a few days ago. So it was very private and it was just me and the pianist. And I just sang my songs with only a piano. No jumping.
1: Was that what they wanted?
0: Yeah, that was the vibe of the event. And there were people and these people, they did not come to, even though they know the songs, they're not going to sing along because they came to watch me perform.
1: Oh.
0: After I'm done, then they everyone claps, claps and all that. So that's a different type of show. Did they wear suits and ties? Not necessarily. Some some wore suits and ties, but it was very it was a very high-profile gathering. But not, not necessarily suits and ties. It was just a very the vibe of the gathering was we're coming to watch a performance.
1: Okay, it was a more at yes at showcase
0: yeah it was yeah, showcase is the word it was more of a showcase than a concert. okay and I have those I, I do those a lot and I also do festivals too and mm-hmm. I also do my own shows which are not festivals in my own shows the vibes is slightly different from a festival because I know that it's just my fans here there are certain things I can you know communicate with them that in a festival where there's other people's fans they may not You know, but with my own, my own personal shows are my favorites because I have more flexibility. I can do so much more to give people an experience than just doing the song. You know, I can, I have control over how the venue looks. I have control over the lighting. I have control over everything, you know. So those are actually my favorite ones, those ones. But yeah, every, every performance is different depending on the.
1: And in spaces where, have you ever had like a, a situation where you've misjudged a vibe. Mm. Where this is your system of this is your system of performance intelligence. Mm. Has it ever not failed per se? Has it ever been wrong?
0: Maybe once or twice.
1: How do you fix that?
0: Well, I just try to be more do more do a little more research in quotes before performances, if I'm wrong. Okay. In one situation. But um, there are some times, too, so you might do every, you might calculate everything right, and the crowd may just not be in the right energy that day. It happens to everyone, to even the best of us. So if it happens, you know, just take
1: it and move. <laughs> True. But what prepares, what prepares you for... So for you, one of the reasons why I ask this question is because a lot of alphabet intelligence is teaching. Yeah. And so that's why I prefer to talk to the people who are on the front lines because yeah. they're the ones with the knowledge. It's yeah. their life. Yeah. And for a lot of people who have followed your your growth, your metamorphosis into this global star, what prepares a person to perform at a festival with thousands, 50,000, 20,000 people? What prepares a person that normally does um, all the 200, 300, 100 What's, what does upscaling look like in that situation?
0: Man, you, you know what's so crazy? I don't even know how to answer this question because I myself, I just found myself doing it one day. I don't even know how. <laughs> like before you know, I did this arena, then I did another arena, then I did. Before you know it, I'm doing back-to-back 20K, 30K, 40K people. For me, I just always saw it as the same thing, actually. Okay. 1,000 people, 20,000 people. There isn't much of a difference, as you would think. It's still people. It's still a crowd of people who came to watch you perform. It's still a crowd of people who came to. So 1,000 people, 20,000 people, there isn't much of a difference. It's it's all the same thing. 1,000, 20,000, 100,000. The most important thing is, look at it like this. So let's say people that sing in the shower, right? Yeah. So let's say, imagine those 20, 40,000 people they just want to see you in your own element yeah doing what they heard on their headphones singing the song they heard on their headphones they came to watch so it doesn't you don't necessarily have to think of there's 20k people here just yeah. perform for the people just perform how you would perform on a regular day that's how i see it and even looking at the, some of the biggest stars that you know i've studied or looked up to. It's kind of the same thing with them. They always say, just give you a hundred percent for me when I'm at a festival, as much as I'm in my own energy as well, the energy of the people too, gingers me even more. And oh. I like to just have fun. Like most times I'm doing like a one hour set or a 40 minute set. I'm not just performing one song. I'm doing like 10 songs. So to do those 10 songs, I have to get in my zone. Yeah. So while I'm on stage as much as there's 20K, 40K people looking at me, they're looking at me in my zone, in my energy, and I'm just doing my thing and having fun. I'm just singing my songs. I am having fun with it. Me and my dancers, me and my band, and we give a great And Before you know it, the performance is over, and everybody is like, oh, that was great, that was great. But for me, while I was doing it, I was just having fun doing my thing, and just, you know, obviously I rehearsed before the performance. So I just follow... I follow the plan, I sing the song, I enjoy it, I vibe with the audience. Sometimes I might I might see someone in the audience that is vibing on a different level and I might bring them up stage. You might just do something very, you know, um spontaneous and I do that a lot. Sometimes I can just be spontaneous enough to call someone up stage. I can be spontaneous enough to to, you know, make the crowd wave their hands. I can be spontaneous enough to to do one song twice when I see that the crowd wants me to do it twice. You know, it all depends on the energy. Yeah. But the key for me is to just be one with the crowd and be one with your music. Yeah. Like be performing the music, be one. And also at a certain point, you become one with the crowd and yeah. the crowd becomes one with you and you guys are in sync. And it's, I feel that those are one of the most beautiful moments of being on stage, that point where you and the crowd are one. It's crazy. Oh,
1: thanks. And how this connection with the crowd, you know, how does how how does a person develop that? Cause yeah. I know I know I've been in multiple performances where the person on stage is killing it. He has everything, he's giving it his all, his best shot is on stage. But somehow there's a there's a wall between that person and the crowd. And mm-hmm. without that connection, it always feels like it doesn't flow. What informs you to involve the crowd? It's a
0: discernment thing. You can tell when a crowd is one with you and when a crowd is not one with you. Okay. I mean, I've had times much earlier in my career where the crowd was not one with me yet because maybe they had never seen me before and they were like, well, let's even hear what this guy wants to sing. But, like, in a situation where, where lots of people in the crowd know my music already, I feel, first of all, they're already happy to see me, first of all. Yeah. And when I'm giving a good show, they connect, you know? And I don't know, man. I, I feel for me, it was never really much of a conscious thing. It was just a natural thing. Like, the more I performed and the more I just, you know, observed the crowd, I always just knew what to do, like, I know when to do a call and response. I know when not to do a call and response. I know when to do an a cappella. I know when not to do an a cappella. You know, I know when to dance with the dancer. I know when to vibe with the audience. I know when to. J- Sometimes I jump into the crowd from the stage. Do they, do they catch you? No, not like surf. Not like, <laughs> not like that type of. Tra- <laughs> I haven't tried that yet. You, know, you haven't surfed the crowd. No, but I actually will do that. One day, but (laughs) I haven't done that yet. (laughs) But there are times I just come down, I jump down from the stage and I go right in front of the crowd because sometimes I just feel like that connection is not enough. Like with me, eh? I don't know about anyone else, but with me, when I'm on stage, people really want to connect with me on stage. Like people want to give me their phones to film. People are reaching out. So like those people in front, I try to give them even more than everyone else. So like there's times I just feel the connection so strong. I'm like, fuck it. I just jump down and I go and literally go to their faces and I'm performing in front of their faces, touching them and all that stuff. And that's like so much fun for me because I'm like, that's the whole point of me being an artist. That's the whole point of me making music. Like the fact that all these people came out, sometimes it's raining, you know, sometimes they've been at the festival for hours watching so many artists, they came there because they wanted to listen to this song they've been listening to on Spotify for months. Yeah. They want to see the person. They want, you know, they want an experience. They want a connection. Yeah. And for me, I try to never deprive people of that because I flew 12 hours to come to this country, not to just, you know, I have to give it my all if I flew all this distance to come here. So... For me, I always like to just connect with the audience, always.
1: Beautiful. And it's, watching your performance clips, it does does show. It does show because the best performers are always in charge. Yeah. And it shows. Well done. Thanks. Well done. (laughs) And when you first landed in Lagos, how challenging was it to integrate yourself into the city?
0: First of all, Lagos is really different from where I come from, like... Or rather, where I grew up. Kaduna is a really chilled place, like... People are laid back. Very laid back, you know, regular suburban vibes. Like, people don't, don't really like to even go to the club in Kaduna. There are not that many clubs. The nightlife scene is not active. So coming to Lagos, yeah, it was, like, so different. Like everybody on the road is mad, first of all. (laughs) Like, the way people drive, the way traffic is, the way you can be in traffic for two hours. Like, I didn't understand what it meant to be in traffic for two hours
1: growing up. Like, so all those things, like, they first fucked with me first. And and you weren't, you weren't coming into the city as someone that could insulate themselves. Yeah, you know, like, I really had to be inside Lagos
0: when I was in Lagos. Like, I was squatting with my guy, (laughs) first of all. So I wasn't really living the most comfortable life. Yeah. Plus, you know, the culture shock and everything. But the thing is me, I'm someone that I learned fast. So in a short time, I was able to catch the vibes, you know. What was your dominant objective at that point when you arrived? My dominant objective was to get signed. Because I knew that from the very beginning... I just know that as an artist, you need bigger machinery to upscale. And for me, I always wanted to make music at the highest.
1: Wanted to make music at the highest level.
0: Yeah, I I always wanted to make music at the highest level. I wanted my music to be global. So I just felt like to get myself closer to that, I needed to be with a team that I could work with. I couldn't do it alone. So my objective was to do that ultimately so I could release my own music. But I knew that... At first, I did not have I did not have much to offer to make a living to survive in Lagos, other than production. That was the one thing I could do like this,
1: and, and people were ready to pay for it. Okay, because your talent was ready and your talent could compete. Yeah, at in this new city. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was basically it. Of course, I had like lots also, of learning. Okay,
0: learning to do still like because music in Lagos is also different. Yeah. You know, so I had to,
1: I had to really... How was it, it. how was it different from Kaduna?
0: Well, in the sense that the songs that make it to Kaduna from Lagos had to be nationwide big to make it to Lagos. Like, for instance, you know, there are some songs that are very big inside Lagos that if you go to Abuja, they don't even know the
1: song. True.
0: Yeah. So the songs we were listening to were the songs that were so big that they made it out of Lagos. Yeah. First of all. Mm -hmm. Like, there was not much of street music in Lagos, for instance. Like, yeah. there was m- lots more of the pop, urban, mainstream stuff. Yeah. That was the stuff they played on radio. You would not hear a song like as, as an example.
1: You might not hear an Azados. Yeah. You or you might would not hear a
0: Two Face. Hear a Two Face, you know. So, that's the kind of stuff we're exposed to. But coming here and understanding like the heavy street culture and the influence on the sound, because I was also living on the mainland for a good number of years i was on the mainland so i was inside lagos so i had to learn a lot about the vibe and the energy of the people and the energy of the music that you know makes lagos what it is and um over time i improved on that you know as a producer
1: how long did it take before you felt like the feet underneath you were solid in the city
0: maybe four years maybe Or three years or something
1: like that. And those three years was just constant learning, constant constant,
0: Constant learning, constant work, constant bad experiences that you learn from, you know, man, it was just like, it was just nonstop. (laughs) Constant stuff for three years, basically. But yeah, that's how it started for me, especially from where I came from. Yeah. Coming here. And it's so crazy how all that, you know, culminated in... What's going on right now. Yeah. It's so crazy. Like, even I myself thinking about it,
1: busts my own head too. Like, <laughs> what helped you find your feet? What were the key pillars that helped you? Like, <clears throat> when you would say, okay, you had a good launch pad?
0: I'll say, first of all, my friend who gave me a place to stay. Yeah. He he played a role because before I got my own apartment, I was with him for a while. And um, the first label I was signed to Chocolate City, I feel like in the entertainment space, that was like my first experience in the entertainment space in Lagos. Like I'd been to other labels at the time and all that, but in terms of that was the first label I worked with. Yeah. So I would say in terms of, in quotes, finding my feet, you know, that was where I met a lot of the people that, I feel played a role in getting me where I am today. Like I met my manager while while I was there. Yeah, you know, I met it. tons of great people. Reinhard, Millie, Dice.
1: Um, then there was Reinhard. Yeah. at some point. Then there was Donnell Toy Seven L Three. L3, you know,
0: there were lots of great people. You know that all just connected in that one place at the time. You know, everyone came from different backgrounds and whatever to work for this company. And we kind of all connected too while that was happening. So <clears throat> I'll say that definitely was an important um, phase. And um, yeah, that and myself just looking at the whole situation and navigating my way through this thing called
1: the music industry or whatever like that you, was you had found you had gotten more knowledge yeah knew more people pretty much yeah and did it also help that you were now able to support yourself absolutely
0: i feel like i could focus more on other things than you know supporting myself yeah. at a certain point you know
1: you were no longer focused on survival
0: yeah like you know that was really my main focus
1: even though I was surviving
0: okay before, I was actually good. Like, people were paying for my beats and I was always selling beats. I was always doing stuff, you know, but I was just not operating at the level I wanted to operate on, you know.
1: Also, this conversation, you've always mentioned an expansionist approach to your music. Mm. You talk about, you use words like global a lot, even at the start, at your formative years. Yeah. You you think you always compare that music to what was happening outside. Yeah. You believe like we could fight at the highest level. What gave you that? What fed that belief? Because there are very few examples to make a person think that they could push beyond the ceiling. Yeah.
0: I feel like <clears throat> lots of people. What did you see inspired me? Like, first of all, around the period where the first young Afro beat, if I let me even start from Mohit, yeah, like, from dibanj me seeing Dibange do a song with, or me seeing Dibange and Kanye West, yeah. first of all, in a video, before they actually did the song, first of all, that just showed me that it's possible, it's within the realm of possibility. Sure. Because, like, growing up, I always wanted to be a star and all that stuff, you know, but, I always saw myself in my head like I was Michael Jackson.
1: Yeah. You know, but. That's in the- that's the stariest
0: star. Yeah, you know, like, everybody just wants to, you know, go to Yankee or go to Janda and be a Yankee star or whatever. But now, yeah, during the Mohit era. Yeah. That was when, like, being a Nigerian star was a thing. Like, you get, like, Don Jazzy, the band, they call like, they were the first fresh guys to do it.
1: Yeah. And you could see the, you could see even the celebrity aspect of it.
0: Yeah. You know, like they were, they were just like, and
1: it looked high level.
0: Yes, it did. And the international community was responding to both the music and, you know, the African vibes they were selling. Like, so that showed me that it was possible. Then over the years, like it's been different levels of, this globalization has been happening with different people from, you know, when the Chalk Boys started blowing up in the UK yeah. to when Whiskey Davido, Bonner Boy came out the first time. <clears throat> and they also started blowing up in, like, the UK. And they were doing shows in the US. They were doing tours and all that stuff. Like, these guys were the first guys that showed us that it's possible. And looking at even what they have achieved today, like, this same whiskey they do boner boy. Look at them today and what they're doing today. Like, they're doing the same thing, but on a much bigger scale right now. Like, you know, you're having Afrobeat artists selling out 20K capacity in fucking Amsterdam, where they don't even really speak English like that. Or, like, you know, like that's crazy to see how it, to see how this thing came from there and turned into this right now. So I feel like for me, I have I joined the race or the journey somewhere in the middle, and we're all still going the same direction. You know, any new artist that comes in, any new generation is basically joining, <laughs> you're joining the wave of what has begun generations before you, like, you know, from the fellas to the Victor Wifos, to the Mohit, to Two-Face, to... Whiskey to David Doe, to us right now. like
1: So anybody that joins in is just joining the flow of, of, of something that has been exactly. coming for a long time. Exactly. And
0: all you can do as an artist is to just contribute to the flow, innovate the genre. Like for me, I always say there's no point for me to make music if I'm not trying to innovate the genre. Like what's the whole point of you listening to a CK song and it's, Sounds like everything you hear every time. What's the point? Like, if you want to hear a certain sound, go to the source of that sound and hear it. But if you want to listen to CK, just know that, just be prepared to listen to something new. That's the whole point of CK making music.
1: (laughs) And emo afrobeat. You get a lot of flack for saying emo afrobeat. Yeah, on Twitter. On Twitter, <laughs> most, yeah. On Twitter, mostly. On Twitter, mostly. You get a lot of flack for saying that. Yeah. And while I understand you, and I understand, like, where, I understand your thoughts regarding that. Why was it important that you distinguish your sound?
0: So, let's put it like this. Okay. So, when I made Love One Since Here, I, I saw something, right? Yeah. And I hoped it would happen. You know, every, every, everybody who, who goes into something or makes a song or designs something, a fashion designer designs something, the person hopes their vision would happen the way they saw it, right? But sometimes it doesn't always happen exactly the way you see it in life. Like, there are people who plan things and it didn't happen. So the fact that it actually happened exactly how I saw it and even more than I expected... I just felt like it was very important for me to document this because it was a phenomenon. Like, if you remember what I said in the beginning of the interview, I said love one since was kind of euphoric. Yeah, You know, like anybody who... It, it, it
1: possessed you. Who, yes.
0: Anybody who really understands music and who listens to music and enters music understands what I'm saying, you know. And it was just such a strong energy that, when it eventually exploded and the whole world caught the energy, the effects, like it was very clear how strong this energy was, you know, and me make, me remembering where the song even came from, me remembering the relationship I was in when I made the song, me remembering the vibes, and me seeing the effect of all this on the world in front of my eyes, you know, like... I just had to document it. And the best way I could explain it was emo afrobeats. Because what is emo music? Emo music is emotional music from the lyrics to the kind of words being said. They're usually very sharp emotions. Yeah. You know, emo music is very sharp emotions, very sharp lyrics, very unfiltered, how I feel lyrics. And the instrumentals are always in such a way that they, feel exactly like the lyrics. Yeah. Like my music, the lyrics and the beats, they're, they're always very much in sync because I want my beats to feel like how I felt when I was making this song. I basically want people to feel what I feel when I make my music, because I feel like that's, that's a much bigger goal. I mean, everybody, you know, dancing is cool and everything. And I always have groove, great groove in my music. So I definitely want people to dance, but I also want people to feel stuff. I want people to feel stuff. I feel like the world needs more emotions. We just need to feel stuff more, you know? Like, I want people to listen to my song and experience a vibe, like a whole vibe. Like, you can close your eyes and listen to the song and it takes you somewhere. If you hear it it when it comes on in the club and you're drunk or you are faded, or you yeah, are, like, whatever, yeah, on whatever you're on, like, the song takes you to a zone. Yeah. Like, an emotional zone, not just a, you know, but, like, an emotional zone. And this is what my music does. Like, every time I, even when I interact with fans of my own music and they tell me how they feel when they listen to my music, this is always the kind of stuff they say. Like, it takes them to this place it makes them oh when they were going through a certain time this song helps them through that time oh this song reminds me of my ex this song reminds me of my boyfriend this song reminds me of of this it reminds me of that like that's the whole point like i want my music to trigger emotions in people as well they can dance that's fine but i really need those people to feel those emotions that's my primary objective because i feel that's what unites the world yeah like you could speak I've, I've been to so many places people speak different languages different cultures and all that stuff but we're all human beings and we all share energies we all feel stuff
1: and i i understand all the feelings that you've described first let me just hit this a bit there's no way we'll talk about this record this much and we wouldn't hit it <laughs> And for a record like this, you've said what you saw with this record was not seen by the world initially. A lot of people didn't get it, even in your immediate spaces. Yeah. What did you see?
0: What I saw... Was first of all, I knew that it was it was a very emotional song, and I just knew that there were millions of people in the world that felt like this. For one and two, I just always saw it as a global song. You know, like I don't know, every single person I knew around me from different countries all felt the same way about this song. Like black people, white people, uh, Arabs, they all felt the same way.
1: mm -hmm. Yeah, all the people in your network in your community
0: they all felt the same way. Like, I would, I would say, I would hear people say stuff like, I put this song on repeat all through last night. Wow. And I slept and woke up or I was high and I listened to this song and it took me somewhere that I did not know. <laughs> 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 you know, stuff like that. So like, that was the energy with the song. It wasn't just like a, a normal song. Like, you know, it was a special song. Yeah. It was always a special song. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Like,
1: <sighs> was that why you were insistent on it?
0: Yeah. I actually always just knew.
1: Cause you had to work the song again and again.
0: Yeah. I, so first of all, I'm very stubborn. I'm naturally a very stubborn person. So I just, I just felt like people have to li- listen to this song. People have to hear this song, you know, around the lockdown, I was, I was on TikTok a lot. You know, when TikTok was not as popular, Yeah, I just liked TikTok. Like, I just thought it was fun. And, um, yeah, I was promoting my song there. I was doing my stuff. I made an acoustic video because I felt like people just needed to hear that song more. So I'm like, you know what? I'll give you guys again in this way. Like, you will need to hear it with just me playing the piano and the song, nothing else. Like, I just wanted people to feel the song in a rough form, so I did that. It's so crazy how all this just, you know, also with the remixes as well in different languages too, all these things just came together and, you know, it was a madness <laughs> last year. And, you know, it, it was just always crazy. Like, for instance, I was in Mauritius with DJO the other day, yeah, and I was just asking him, like, what made you remix this song? You know, why Why did you remix this song? And basically, he told me that he and his cousin, Axel, yeah. they just started learning how to produce that year, the year of the pandemic. And he said he just saw the song on someone's WhatsApp story and he just made a remix. He just decided to do a remix. And he said after he did the remix, everyone around them kept telling them this is going to be a hit, this is going to be a hit. And... They did it and they uploaded it to TikTok. And I think some other person took it and slowed it down. Like, basically the rest was history. Even they don't know how it happened. Like, nobody knows how it happened. It's literally just happened and it exploded and it became a global phenomenon, you know? And it's
1: it's crazy, like, (laughs) it's (laughs) ridiculous. And for a record like that, you know, doing what it's done. When did you know that it had taken flight? What were the signs or what, what showed you that it had taken flight?
0: How I'll put it. Okay, so the first time I felt it had taken flight was um during the pandemic, after the Joe Boy Kwame Eugene remix. Yeah. Um, that was the
1: one I, I I ran I ran a lot to that record. Because okay. during the pandemic I I Okay, I started long distance running before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, I had time to really explore the city by running. So it was always in my running playlist because it was so beautiful. You could Thanks. run to the rhythm. Thanks. So that anytime I hear the song, it, I always felt a runner's high because mm-hmm. that was when I used it the most. Yeah.
0: Thanks. So yeah, basically when that happened and um, girls always just like to use the song, like for content and stuff from time. Like, even before it popped off and everything. But then when I started seeing it chats in East Africa, cause I, I don't think I'd ha- I had a record that ever chatted in East Africa Yeah. before that, you know, yeah. Southern Africa, Europe, America, you know, that's when I kind of knew that, okay, this song is getting to where it is, you know, getting to where I'm, where I'm seeing it in my head. But then like in 2021, it was a completely different vibe. Because after the song had already like you know, it, it it became an old song to Nigerians in quotes yeah you know because it, it had done its work here. yeah yeah because the the consumption rates in Nigeria is very fast so yeah. it came back again and this time it was like a global thing yeah. like it was everywhere you know and this was all organic <laughs> it's crazy because it's all organic I mean obviously. Me and my team, we had to be, like... We had to promote the record on the ground. Like, I had to be in the UK. I had to be in France. I had to be here. I had to do this. I had to do that. And we had to actually, like, promote on the ground. And all that stuff, too. I had to go to see my fans in this place. Basically, I had to do the rounds, too. Yeah. And everything. And, yeah, that's basically what it was. But it was... Purely organic. And the love was organic. Like, I, you know, I would be in the US and see DJs telling me how they discovered the song. Like, everyone discovered my music in the weirdest ways. Some discovered JJ DeWine. Some discovered Emiliana. Yeah. Like, everybody discovers each of my songs in the weirdest ways. Yeah. They'll be like, they heard it in a random bar in Slovakia or some <laughs> shit like that. Or someone reposts a story and they hear it. Or someone reposts my video and they hear it's like... It's always very, like, organic with my music. I don't really like to force it. I just feel like when I make music from my heart, it's going to connect with the people it's going to connect with. And it's good music. So anyone who likes good music will like my music. And anybody who has a heart to feel will feel the emotions in my music. For a record like that,
1: I know... It brought you to the globe and all the attendant trappings of it. You're very successful. It also spawned you on, it's put you on a great, on a better path, on a greater path. Yeah. For a record like that, having a record like that, like, what's the central thing that is done for you, like, when you think of the record?
0: Um, I would say it established me as a face of Afrobeats. Okay music in general because Love Ant definitely played his role in expanding Afrobeats to it, the world. Yes it did. And like its effects and its impacts cannot be denied. Yes. On the soundscape, on the industry in general. Yeah. Like, you know, lots of people were going to TikTok after that, you know, trying to make a viral hit song or whatever. Like
1: Yeah. It did it, it, it just is it, what it, showed it was. Showed people that you could go how to go viral on social media Yeah,
0: and to be honest that's fine <laughs> by the way i have no problem with that like the fact that more people are using tiktok is good yeah for afrobeats like yes. i want more people to have tiktok hits like if you if you if your song is meant to blow on tiktok and it blows on tiktok that is good for afrobeats yes we need more songs we like afrobeats can be so much bigger than it is and i feel like if everyone is successful
1: is good yes (laughs) because the more success you have the more you can market the culture wider exactly you know so um yeah that's what i'll
0: say love one since he did and um i would also say it also showed me the importance of authenticity in my art and the importance of just making great music yeah like you know i don't have to follow a certain set of rules. Like, I just have to make great music. And I feel like, you know, in, a, in an industry where labels control what artists create and all that stuff, it's, it's very, very easy to lose sight of actually making art. Yeah. Like, making art then, marketing the art, not making, not thinking of art as a product first before it's art. You know, I think it, sh- it should be art first before it's a product. Art as an expression. An expression of something that is real, of something good, you know, and people feel that that's what it should be. It shouldn't necessarily be copying a format, copying a formula, you know, this plus, this plus, this is equal. Like,
1: just, just making great stuff. How do you then move move beyond a record like that? Because with... That level of success, people would always wonder, how does an artist progress beyond this? What do they have to do to be able to? Love and wanting TNT might be a once in a generation record. That's how big it is. But be able to still service at that level that that art that he's at mm-hmm. with new music. And what was important to you moving beyond love and wanting TNT?
0: For me, what was important is giving picture, people a full picture okay. of where Love Wanting Tea even came from. okay. Like, for me, that's what's more important. Because for me, like, I see it as art, like I said. Before Love Wanting Tea became the most streamed African song, yeah, Love Wanting Tea was a beautiful song. It was sure. that beautiful song that came from my heart. And, you know, I was in this relationship and I was vibing, expressing my feelings. And I was just doing it. And, you know, that's what it was before it became all this. So, my album, Sad Romance, is like basically 12 songs of me, of me doing the same thing. Basically, me telling, expressing how I was feeling, but in different times in the relationship. In the good times where I was feeling loving and good, and the bad times where I was not feeling
1: so good, the times I fucked up, times. You're very toxic. You broke up. <laughs> I know you're very toxic. You've you've said it before. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little, but but if you go through these things, it's your fault, no, not your fault. But I feel like wow. you play a very strong <laughs> role because you're an active participant. Once it's once it's happened more than <laughs> once, then somehow, you you know it's crazy. Like
0: why I even called my album "Sad Romance" in the first place is because. I feel like a perfect romance is not a beautiful one. I feel like the ugliness in the love is what makes the love even madder than it is, than it's, it would be if it was just clean. So the fact that I've been in situations, in relationships that are fucked up and toxic as fuck and terrible, I still feel it's a beautiful thing too, because If you can be in love with someone through all this stuff, it's a true testament to the fact that you actually are in love with this person. You know? Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes relationship ends. Sometimes you never talk to each other again. Like, you can be this close to someone and in the next month, the two of you you blocked each other on all socials. It happens. But it could also happen that that could end up being the love of your life. It could also be that that could be someone that could be in your life forever. You never know. And that's the whole beauty of it. And the fact that someone can love you regardless of how crazy you are. Yeah. And you can love them regardless, regardless of how crazy they are. is a sad romance, but it's a beautiful one. And it's a real one. Mm. So this is basically my message in my album. The whole album is, a, is like a diary and every single line means something. And every single line is a line of a story. And every song is connected to like track one to track two to track three to track four. Yeah, It's all connected.
1: So when you're telling the, for, for making, a, making an album like this, when you're making an album like this, you're painting a picture, you're telling a story. Yeah. For me, it's lovely. It gives it a theme. It's, you know, it makes it it's an experience. Mm-hmm. As a businessman, as an AR, I'm thinking, how do you know how to marry that story with sound that would be successful? Mm-hmm. For example, you're making, you're telling a story about love. Mm-hmm. At what point do you get, do you put in the, in quote, hit songs? Mm-hmm. At what point do you go commercial? Like, how do you know? To paint mm-hmm. that picture with, with sound too, while so, maintaining commercial success.
0: Yeah, how I see it, yeah, is so when you say commercial success, you mean
1: impact, connectivity, rela-
0: relatability, yeah, connectivity. You mean um, the connectivity then relates to resource, like revenue. Yes. Yeah. Now, by mere fact of who I am as a Nigerian or an African, yeah, You know, people like to distinguish between commercial music and good music, in quotes. I think that's bullshit because there's no such thing as commercial music and good music. Music is commercial if people connect to it, if people can listen to it and connect to it, right? Yeah. Afrobeat is our heritage as Nigerians, is our culture. So it's what we like. So if I'm making, if I'm making music that is in my culture already, the people can relate to that. And if I'm telling a story that they can understand and relate to, then they relate to the story and the sound. And then you have a song that is a success. I feel if people don't connect with it, then it's not a success. Okay. But if people connect with it, it's a success. How much of a success it is, is is dependent on so many factors. Maybe it's dependent on if the song is well written, if it's well produced, if it's... If, it, if the DJs want to play it or not, if it's arranged, I don't know. <laughs> but the way I see it, I focus on just expressing myself and communicating my emotions in my language, in the language that I speak, that the people around me speak. And putting my emotions into this. And it's just what it is. I don't try to make commercial music. I feel my music is relatable because that's just
1: how it is. I yeah. get you. And while people consume that story, they would find points within the story by points, I mean songs. Yeah. Points within the story where they can hold on to and maybe utilize it for other things, for their parties. Exactly. For their hangouts, for the long drives at night. And it's that utility that's that's cool. That's a good way to look at it. See, I just learned. Thank you. <laughs> I You're <just> learned. <laughs> Thank you. And I look to the left, my right hand side rather, and I see a lot of plaques, like they are symbols of your impact. That's what it is, symbols of your impact, symbols of like tangible symbols of representations of how far your creative will has traveled. First, does it feel good? It definitely feels good for sure. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: why do you have a lot of them here? Why why are you traveling with them? Yo,
0: listen, like I actually get I pick them up, like when I travel. So each plaque, like, when I was in the US, I I got two plaques. Yeah, when I was in the UK, I got two plaques. Um, from France, I've gotten about two plaques too. Yeah, there's so many other countries I've not actually gotten my plaques from because I've not gone there, <laughs> you know? But like, for instance, I, think I have some plaques in Denmark that I've not yeah. picked because I've not been to Denmark yet. Yeah. Um, but that's basically how it happens. I literally travel to perform and I come back with plaques. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it's crazy. I feel like it's such a blessing for me, like, to actually be on the road and see how far this music has gone. Like, it's one thing for me to be in Nigeria, and everyone is singing my music word for word, is cool and it's understandable. Like comes back to what I was saying about relate- relatability, yeah. or commercial music. Like me just making music about my life as me on a normal day, you relate. Just the same way if I if i young with you now, you understand with you how they talk. Yeah, it's just is. I'm not even trying to be. Yeah, but then it's even more crazy when you see people that don't even really relate. Relating. Yeah. Do you understand? Like when you see somebody that is a full white woman wanting to say stuff like nkobi is so bad. Like, yes. like they are so fascinated by the meaning of nkobi, finding know? their own personal access points. Yeah, them. you know, or like everybody around the whole world asking me what Ule means till this very day. <laughs> like, you know, like the whole culture is just fascinating to them, even though they don't even relate. But this goes back to what I was saying about if people just feel the music. Yeah. They can't, they can't explain what they feel to you. But they just know that they feel this song, even though this is an African song. You know? Yeah. So it's just it's just the way it is. It's, it's, and it's very exciting to see that firsthand every time I go on the road. And, yeah, man, I really, really appreciate everyone supporting to make that happen, man.
1: It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I think it's a blessing. And so, still shallow, what do you do with these plaques? You stack them in your room or in yeah. your studio. What do you do with them? Where do they... Okay, I don't want where they will rob you, but what do you... <laughs> I don't want to say... I wanted to ask where do they end up, but what do you do with them?
0: You no, know, they're in my house, like, you know, they're on the wall. I put them on the wall. I just like to look at them every day to just remind me, like... That is possible, you know? It just, it it re-inspires me every day. It just shows me how much is possible. True, true.
1: And at the core of what you do is production. You started with it, production, engineering. How much of that do you still do now?
0: I do a lot of it. I still, when I'm in the studio, I still record myself most of the time. Um, I produce most of my stuff. But these days, I produce a bit less than I used to. (laughs) Um, Why? Time? Time, but apart from time, actually, I'm in a... Right now, I'm in a space where I want to connect with other creatives more, a bit more, than just being in my own space. Like, I want to create with another guy with a different mindset, a different angle, a different approach. You know, me... Combining my approach with their approach creates something very interesting. So that's kind of where I am right now. Um, but yeah, I still produce here and there every day, you know, or every week or you know, every month. Depends.
1: Because <laughs> I, I first met you as a producer. Yeah. First time I saw you, a producer, I like, was the guy, CK is a producer. Yeah. And then at some point you started introducing your art, your music, started introducing your music. Was it hard to do that?
0: Um, a bit, I feel, I feel at first, a lot of people kept seeing me as a producer that was trying to sing at first, which was weird because I'm like, I just moved to Lagos and I was just doing this because I needed cash at the time. (laughs) Like I was, I was already in quotes, a big artist where I was coming from, even though it wasn't like a real industry like Lagos or whatever, but like it was real fans, real everything. So I basically started over. Lagos. So it was it was kind of a misconception I had to fix at first, you know. But I felt me just being consistent
1: and doing my thing just fixed that problem. Mm. Time and the results of your work. When you were signed to your earlier, your previous record label, Chocolate City, were you signed as a producer or as an artist?
0: I was signed as both.
1: When you mean you've been signed as both, they would include your your both skills be included on the same contract? No, it was was different contract. Two contracts. Producer contract, artist contract. Beautiful. When you left, when you moved houses, what were you looking for when you moved houses to Wana? Well, for one, my
0: contract expired. Okay. How long were you there? Three, four years or something like that. Okay. Yeah, but I did not wish to renew it and I did it. I signed to a new label that I felt understood my vision better and I felt was, you know, at a much better capacity to achieve the things I wanted to achieve.
1: And that was it. Signing internationally. How how is it different? Like being signed to a major? How is it different? What do you experience?
0: I feel for me, my my type of label is is, is a different vibe is a very you know family chilled vibes semi-family vibes you know what i mean like um the people i work with were also good friends you know yeah mostly good friends even the label heads we have pretty cordial relationships you know like it's not too official you know what i mean and it's just a, it's basically a group of people that just believe in a vision and are just working to
1: make it happen literally beautiful and and your successor around the world has you know continues to prove that they did the right thing with production as a producer when you say you want to make this sound you want to make this what informs that choice how i feel at the time like i'm
0: basically trying to just express the emotions I'm feeling to explain it to people with music, and that informs my choice of everything.
1: So if you feel pain, you'd find the a, a yeah. chord for that would make you feel pain. Yeah, Like make you feel the pain more. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, basically that's like, that's literally what it is. Huh. But I'm still an African, so like I still have, I still like to groove. I still like to you know, so m- my Africanness
1: shows in my music still. And in times when you create this music to express yourself and you do, and you kept giving it out to other people, doesn't it feel how does it feel like something you've created for yourself, you're giving it out to other people? How does it feel?:
0: Well, it feels like you cutting a finger and giving someone <laughs>
1: <laughs> But you did yeah. I like that. And now you're at this place now where sad romance is happening mm-hmm. for you did you did Watawi. Amapiano, beautiful record. To me, it felt a lot like it was not, it was not, it wasn't, it was not in line with what I expected from CK. What
0: were you expecting from CK?
1: You've always led with melody, more than everything, but this one, as much as I love it, it did feel like you, you were more groovy this time. Mm. Because Piano, even though you could mix your melody inside, it evokes, a very singular emotion.
0: Yeah, with What Are We, yeah. So first of all, with my music, yeah, I don't like to overthink my music. Most of my songs are either freestyles or semi-freestyles, in the sense that I'm literally saying how I feel as it is in the moment, yeah? Yeah. And with What Are We, I was just vibing on it, and I basically said what was happening in my life at the time I recorded the song, like... At the exact time. Because if you listen, the the lyrics are very specific. Yeah, true. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, want to have my kids, but I don't want to have kids. You know, it's very specific. And I was literally just describing a scenario that was happening at that time. Yeah. And bringing this back to the album, every song on the album was like this. So that's why every song is linked. Every song tells the story of the next song. Okay. You know what I mean? So it's a part of a big story. Oh. What are we? And yeah, it was it was very different sonically. I wanted to I wanted to do something different. And um yeah, I was feeling the vibes when I heard the beat and I did it, basically. And we heard it and we loved it and we put
1: it out. And why are you in Nigeria for the release?
0: I'm in Nigeria for the release because I think it's very important. It's a very important message to even the international fans that the music comes from Nigeria. Yeah. Because, you know, it's going to be available worldwide and all that stuff. But I just want to release it in Nigeria because I'm Nigerian. And even though I'm traveling here and there, I just feel it's very important to to come back home and release the music at home mm. with my people. Your album there. listening is
1: tomorrow. City. yes yes very yes. excited when yeah. i got the invite I saved it immediately I, I added it to my calendar
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. it's, going to, it's going to be late i'm so excited you know like it's very 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 i remember when i did the listening for ck the first two like yeah. in lagos and you know i just i just feel that energy is so key yeah even for me like i just want to feel that energy of lagos and nigeria like i want to feel Nigeria, then release it from Nigeria, then everybody else, you know, in New York, LA, London, you can hear
1: it yeah. after, but in Nigeria, we have to. <laughs> and, and traveling all these places, still in connection, traveling all these places and spreading your message, spreading the culture, being an ambassador of the space, you know, still tying it into this conversation of Afrobeats to the world, you know, you are a leader in that regard, you know. You form the vanguard of the people spreading the message or pushing this campaign or this moment. What is now I know there's a lot of benefits to be had outside. I know, you know, see your plaque your plaques, they're all coming in with you. Um, you see the crowds, we see the even the financial benefits, things like the foreign currency and all of that. What is now the place of Nigeria in all of that where does Nigeria fit in in that sort of system
0: Nigeria is extremely important actually in that system because number one is where the music comes from okay it's where the vibes come from like it's like dance hall and Jamaica you know what I mean like you cannot no matter how international dance hall gets you can't remove it from Jamaica or you can't remove Jamaica from it so it's the same way with Afrobeat like no matter how how many billion people listen to afrobeats it does not change the fact that it's from nigeria so nigeria is very important and i feel like it's important that every artist remembers it still you know i try to make sure i remember this every single time yeah and um the fans like the the people the first people who support the music are always nigerians who first understand who relate like I said earlier, who actually relates to what we're saying. Yeah. And I feel like it's those Nigerians that spread the gospel to other people. Everybody wants to be Nigerian because they fuck with our music, they fuck with our food, our fashion and everything. Everybody thinks being Nigerian is cool now.
1: <laughs>
0: you yeah. Know? So n- those Nigerians are very important still. So you cannot do away with them. You can't.
1: And then it's home
0: and it's home. Like, you know, there's no jollof rice in LA. Like, I mean, there's jollof rice in LA, but it just doesn't taste like jollof rice here. <laughs> it
1: doesn't have the sofa. It
0: doesn't. Like, the firewood is not there, bro. Without that firewood, you're not,
1: you not serious to cook rice yet. <laughs> so, we've, we've almost done this. We've done this for nearly two hours. And just before I go, I, I want to find out, in Kaduna, when you picked up the mic or picked up the console to learn, you wanted to improve on what you were hearing Mm. when you came to lagos you wanted a bigger platform Mm. when you signed your new deals and then you wanted a vehicle for globalization and you've you've achieved all of this all of these things but at the end what's in it for you
0: what's in it for me
1: i feel for me apart from
0: success money all that stuff i feel like what's ultimately in it for me is the legacy and the impact. Like, I want to be known for making music that had impact and that changed, like, changed the whole sonic space that, you know, broke records. Like, I just want to do great stuff, you know? And also, I want to see African music. I want to make African music that is going to spread the four corners of the earth, like, because I think our music is that good and it deserves to be there. So I'm going to keep playing my role in this. And at the end, I just want to have the satisfaction that I played this role in this culture that I come from. And that's basically it for me. Also, I just want to see everybody around me successful as well. My family, my friends, everybody that I work with, I want them to do well as well. And yeah, basically that's it. Mm. I just want to do great shit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this and it's always always a pleasure to see you always thanks. Always, boys. and always waiting for you and what you're doing and it, it's inspiring even to apart from millions of others inspiring to me because you can always say I know this person and I mm. saw the tra- I saw the trajectory and it could be anybody in your personal business just show excellence and the rest and you never can tell so well done thank well you well done <laughs> bye guys all right